Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Speaking of teaming up with experts, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a specific topic you'd be interested in suggesting, please email us at podcasts with an S there at hci.org. I'm so delighted to be joined today by Casey Bailey. Let me tell you a little bit about Casey. She is the head of people at Deal, where she oversees the HR and culture functions for a distributed team of 900 plus employees across 60 countries. Founded in 2019, Deals Technology offers payroll, HR, compliance, and benefits needed to hire and manage a global team, which is awesome. In just under three years, the company has 7,000 plus customers, including Shopify, Coinbase, and Cloudflare. And this is one of the reasons I'm so excited to meet with Casey here today is she is a distributed work enthusiast, um, having led HR and people teams through rapid growth in remote and hybrid environments. Before she came to Deal, Casey served as SVP of People and Places at Divi and Head of Global HR Business Partnerships at Uber Eats. Welcome, welcome, Casey. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Excited to be here. Oh my gosh. I am so, thank you for taking time. I know you're a busy woman um, getting things done, so I'm so grateful for your, your time with us too. We're glad to have you. Of course. So really interestingly enough, just yesterday, I was sitting around a table of a a group of folks and we're all talking about this topic of remote and hybrid and distributed workforce and what that means for us and how that has changed uh, a lot of people's, a lot of organizations' landscapes since 2020. But what I love about what I'm going to hear and what we'll talk about, Casey, is that Deal chose this remote and distributed workforce in 2019 when you launched the company. So talk to us a little bit why it wasn't because of a disruption, obviously, but why the decision to utilize this model? Why did that make sense for you all? Sure. And I know it looks like now with both um, us being a fully distributed global remote workforce, as well as with our product offering, it, it feels like our founders, our co-founders, Shuo and Alex saw the future, right? Because it's such perfect timing with uh, COVID and what everyone is trying to figure out post-COVID and determining what's the right fit. I personally don't think that there's a one-size-fits-all approach, and we're, we can delve into that later. But yes, when the business was launched, um, you know, coming out of Y Combinator, really our, our founders went in trying to solve a very specific problem based upon what they both had experienced as immigrants to the U.S. and having access to, and not even from the perspective of the employer yet, but as individuals having access to work for some of the best companies in the world, companies that they were engaged in or interested in their mission. And this was really at the core of what they thought about when they built Deal and why there was not an office or a workplace strategy, rather a global distributed workforce from the beginning, because they just wanted to hire 
and the best people, no matter where they sat in the world and connect them with, with deal for themselves at the time, but then also on our customer side, being able to connect a global talent workforce with global employers seeking talent, no matter where they sat in the world. So really core to the foundations of our values and principle set, our product and what we're doing. And we're certainly living that out internally in our workforce. Amazing. What a cool way that it came to be. You mentioned that they were immigrants and it kind of just automatically that thought of, hey, we want access to companies around the world or people around the world. I appreciate you said the best talent, right? How are we going to find that best talent? Ah, that's that's so cool. And again, to your point, it wasn't because of some crisis. This was a choice to do this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess my question for you, Casey, would be, and you did mention, which I appreciate too, because I think I'm of the school like, yes, go remote, go remote. But I appreciate that you did mention there isn't a one size fits all. And I think that's important for our listeners to even recognize and know and understand. Um, but when you look at the last three years and your perspective of implementing the workforce model that you have, what maybe we can talk both success and challenges, but we can start with what what was successful for you? What worked for you all as you were growing this business in this way? Sure. And I do want to give some perspective to this as well, because while the company was founded and started uh, with working on the product in 2019, I will say that the majority of our internal workforce hiring, though, really took place going from 50 people to 550 people last year. And then we've already gone from 550 people at the end of last year um, to 1,200 people this year. So I know you reported 960 countries. We hire on average about 100 people per month. And so we're already at 1,200 in 78 countries across the world. So certainly we've had both successes and challenges along the way for sure. And I think both of them come back to intentionality, right? Or lack thereof um, in thinking about really how complex it is to manage that type of workforce. And certainly all of the listeners might not be in that same boat where you're going to have people sitting in 78 plus countries around the world, whether that's one lone person sitting in Macedonia, um, all the way to, you know, 300 people sitting in the U.S. as an example. But with it comes complexities that you definitely have to be intentional and in understanding around types of employment, compliance, all the non-sexy back of the house stuff, right, that people teams think about from payroll and payments uh, to benefit statutory requirements and those types of things to ensure that we're being successful on the business end. But also when you think about the culture and recognizing that there are inherent differences across communication styles, specifically if you think about being a, a heavy Slack operated company, which we certainly are, and you know you can come across a lot of different ways on Slack, as I'm sure uh, those who are, who are working in Slack understand, but just management styles too, right? In terms of giving feedback and where comfort levels are and confidence levels, um, in terms of tools and technology that help you automate, bring to life your vision around communications and collaboration when you have people that aren't sitting together and in some cases might not ever see another, we call ourselves dealers, another deal person, right? In person. And that's odd to think about. Um, and how do you also think about the budget 
requirements. And I think sometimes, and certainly for us, as I think about a challenge, right, was how do we forecast the budget? Uh, how do we think about the strategies there around the tools and technology and automation piece, but also recognizing that people are still human and they want to have human interaction? And what does that look like within a city, a town, a country, a region, globally, right? Um, team by team or whole company, that type of thing. There are so many facets to it. When I think about where we've been successful, is similar to our business. We really focus on the compliance element, right? But again, that's the back of the house. So yes, we want to do that well <laughs> and we want to uh, be compliant, but bringing that to life on the front end from the user experience, right? From the, the team member experience, the culture experience has certainly been a learning opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Through that whole process. Wow. Yes. It's, it's, I, I used the word a couple of times, you used the word intentional. And I, and I think that that's one thing you all have had, had that opportunity, even though there's success and challenges as you've uh, moved through your process. Um, but you've been able to be intentional about it. And I do think a lot of our listeners, no matter what they're mitigating today in terms of their workforce model, it was not necessarily an intentional disruption, you right. know, it just came out of the blue. So you got it's, which is why I was so excited to talk to you because you, you, you had kind of a, 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 you were, this was a plan for you all to build a company that was remote and distributed. And, and I bet you had no idea it was going to be in 78 countries. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't forecast that. But with it being so core to who we are, um, that has made it an easier conversation to get resources or to bring things to the forefront. I've certainly in my last role um, at Divi, where we are acquired by Bill.com, different perspective, right? Um, in being, you know, very US based in that instance, or remote meaning that you're in more than one state within the United States. And I'm sure there's HR practitioners listening to this that you, know, you encounter all different kinds of conversations in the boardroom or with your executive team around what does remote mean for you and what are going to be your strategies. And certainly there are some interesting things that we're seeing now in terms of trying to meet or, or wanting to meet or having a strategy around diversification of talent, um, of talent, experience, et cetera, but also in diversification of your payroll and headcount budget, right? And being able to access talent. And certainly I never want the headline to be, and hope it isn't for us or anyone else, around cheaper talent, right? But there are factual, um, there's it's factual that you can engage talent in different parts of the world for a different cost that you can here in the US or in the Netherlands or United Kingdom, right? Which are higher cost of labor, higher cost of living areas. And I think that that's an interesting strategy and certainly something that we're leveraging today and many of our customers are leveraging today um, in the time of a recession and seeing different things happening. Um, and that's been something where we've We've been intentional around that from the start, right? Because that was our strategy to hire the best talent anywhere and to give ourselves an opportunity to do that. And it's interesting budgeting for that way, especially if you're, if you're posting a role and it can literally sit anywhere in the world, but also understanding where you've got regionalization and things like that or specific teams uh, where it's important for delivery to a customer or internally, 
where you're placing people and then optimizing for, you know, getting the best talent within that region. But again, there are cost levers there that you can play. It's very, very interesting world operating on a global front. It's so intricate and challenging. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Yes, it's a lot. (laughs) I bet you guys, you've all been able to manage that. And like you said, from where you started, I think you said four employees to where you are now. I think you said 900. Um, 1200. 1200. Sorry. 1200 I said, as you're just a quarter behind. That's okay. <laughs> just a quarter behind. That's right. Um, but to, to manage all that internally, and then obviously knowing that your software is also allowing companies to do the same thing, but there's so many things to think about what, what goes into that whole process. It's amazing. It's Gosh, I'm glad you guys have done the thinking about thinking. <laughs> yes, I mean we have the advantage, right? Because yes. we're we're our own customer, um, and, and certainly we um, we are very intentional about being our own customer too, and making sure that we understand. But we we're able to leverage you know country knowledge bases in over 80 countries where we have entities that support not just ourselves internally but also our customers, and not not everyone has that. So. Sure, I could plug deal here, right, as a platform, as a partner, but there are many other people in the space too. And I think that's usually when I'm talking with other peers, other heads of people, CHROs, um, even heads of talent acquisition regarding their strategy. That's usually what we're talking about on a one-to-one basis, right? Sitting over the Zoom or the Google Meet is the compliance element, you know, talking to a CPO sitting in the Netherlands coming to the U.S. for the first time to establish a sales hub as they try to break into this market, it seems overwhelming. You know, the U.S. is quite complicated. And if you haven't worked in the U.S. Um, specifically, then it's it's difficult to know because state by state, we have so many, we operate as own little countries, right? Each state is its own type of country in terms of requirements, statutory requirements, payroll, et cetera. I think that's where it can it can feel so overwhelming to try to take on or tackle this type of a strategy. And so your HR technology stack, all the way from your applicant tracking system to HRIS, payroll and payments, et cetera, you have to feel very good about your partners there. And then the other partners that you need from a compliance perspective so that you can leverage their information. It's not recreating the wheel, right? It it lives out there, but just being able to access it in a way that brings it to life for you to be able to build your policies and programs. And again, no one size fits all. Yep. Compliance is there, but how you want to bring that to life for your global workforce. Yeah. And and I'm so glad you mentioned this because that was going to be one of my questions for you, Casey, was the symmetry, if you will, between what you all are providing as a service and, and how you've set up your organization. So you kind of have answered some of that for me in, in indicating like how you now you're your own customer yes. and, and what you've learned now has helped through your service and products also. So thank you. I'm glad that you brought that up. So I do have a question because I think that and we can go anywhere from here. I, I shared with you, like selfishly, some topics that are interesting to me is how you've been able to diversify your hiring, what um, onboarding might look like, or differences that you might have with exempt or non-exempt. Those are my selfish areas, but I just think in general, 
right? For a lot of our listeners, as you've even said too, you know, they've been uprooted. And so now they're mitigating these different models in their workforce. Could you talk about what you've noticed for some of your cultural shifts over the last few years? Sure. And I'm happy just to tackle each of those buckets because they are topics unto their own. So feel free to to, to dive in. Um, certainly diversity of hiring. And again, from being in a variety of companies coming, I came from consultancy. I understand the conversations around diversity and what it means, you know, to different executive teams and leadership and getting buy-in around what a strategy might look like there certainly has come to the forefront in the past few years, but could still take a lot of different avenues, right? Depending upon your company. Uh, again, kind of not a one size fits all, but certainly at the forefront of at least being a topic. For us, again, because of our founders have, you know, not being from the U.S., but we're a U.S.-based company, coming into Y Combinator, having studied at MIT, spending time here, but not being from the U.S., again, that's why we have the global workforce, but also diversity is so important just at a foundational level to them. So it's almost been not even that, you know, we don't have metrics or anything around diversity. <laughs> it's just natural, right? You just look at our data and it's just, we're naturally diverse, um, obviously across race and ethnicity, um, but also across uh, gender as well, which is, is pretty interesting. Um, and, and of course, being in 78 countries helps with that and having a population that's very much in alignment with our kind of nomadic type of culture or way of thinking about work from anywhere, work remote, um, lots of global mobility within our company internally, same thing as we see in our customers. So very, very interesting elements there. But with that, again, you've got compliance um, that you need to think about and being able to, to handle uh, a very diverse population with visa issues, work eligibility, people who are constantly being nomadic and how you want to manage that. But then you also have the piece around, like we were a little bit starting to talk about with just communication and management techniques, how people like to receive feedback, understanding that there are differences across the population and being able to understand what's core from a values and principles standpoint or our philosophies and program standpoint and what we deliver globally, but where that may have nuances across countries or where in some countries we might be required to do something specifically for a certain population. Another, an example of this would be our flexible time away from work program. Man, <laughs> you, you would think, okay, flexible time off, unlimited PTO. Okay, yeah. Well, when they really dig into it, right? Man, that is very complex to deliver across 78 countries. And, but we also, you know, while we want to maintain compliance, we also want people to feel like they're grownups, they're humans. We've heard, you know, we're obviously very specifically hiring for people that want to be in a global remote workforce or comfortable with the autonomy and responsibility and communication and things that come with that. Um, so that's part of our, you know, hiring for the right people at deal. But, you know, that type of policy and, and, and the nuances there of holidays by region, et cetera. And I, I think where we've come to is just acknowledging that we're going to do the right thing, acknowledging that we have differences, 
So we have core policies like on flexible time away and holiday, et cetera. But then we also go very country specific where we need to for compliance um, in those areas. So very, very nuanced in those terms, but managing that level of diversity kind of on both ends of the spectrum, front end and back end, um, again, requires some great partnerships to understand uh, what is required, but then really thinking about the intentionality of how you want to bring that to life to make sure your workforce feels that and feels represented and understands the diversity. Because I found that even if someone asks a question or wonders, you know, why are we doing that a certain way? Or why don't we come out with like a political stance on something? Or couldn't we support this in this one country? Um, and we explain to them, you know, our responsibilities because of the diverse workforce we have and trying to be um, all encompassing and um, and inclusive and representative across the board. And then they're, they're like, oh, yes, totally. I understand. That's the right thing that we should be doing because of who we are here at Deal. Wow. My, if I could use the head exploding emoji, <laughs> I mean, you know, when I mention, hey, could you talk about diversity of hiring? I don't think about the granular details that you are talking through, right? And so this is so good for our listeners that may be experiencing some of this and ah, that's it. That's what we need to do or think about or what have you when you are a global distributed remote uh, work environment. Wow. Thank you for sharing. That is that is well beyond what I even imagined to learn from you. So that's great. What about onboarding though? That is, that truly, like, how do you do that if, you, if you've got 78, I mean, uh, like, how do you even do that? What is that? Yes. Like? <laughs> so we are leveraging, obviously, technology and automation. Um, our LMS, our learning management system is Docebo, which some of your listeners might be familiar with. But that was key. When I started in December of last year and Deal already had 550 people, but really no HR tech stack to speak of, oddly, even though we're an HR tech company. <laughs> and so the, you know, one of the first things we did was look at the foundations that we needed to build across our tools and technology to automate because of the complexity that we're operating in and the number of people that we already had and being able to have one source of truth, right? in our HRIS to be able to fill, to push in this case from an onboarding perspective into Docebo, our learning management system, you know, from, we call it yes to desk. Uh, I think Twitter also called it that pre onboarding, essentially. What are the things that we need to tell people? But we need to tell people a lot of different things based upon contractor FTE, based upon the country in which they sit in, a team in which they're joining, et cetera. And so really building our foundations in the learning management system to be able to push out the right information to the right people at the right time, accurate and timely, right? And I think that is a big part of it when you, you know, what is the experience that you want to create for people and getting them excited and being honest, right? Hopefully you've been honest, right? All through the candidate and applicant process that they're hearing consistently, what is it like to work here? You know, we've had people opt out in the candidate process. Um, because, you know, they think that they want to work in a fully remote environment. But when you really get down to it, you know, that gut check of actually, I'd like to go into the office a couple days a week or have it as an option. Right. And so we try to be really honest and consistent about what it's like to work here um, all along the way so that when they hit that pre onboarding place, they're hearing it very consistently, but also continuing to gain their excitement because operating in a global environment, you could have 
some notice periods waiting for people that you hire, two weeks, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days in some countries. So it's that's a really interesting dynamic from a talent acquisition standpoint and hiring standpoint as to when you're looking for these people and sourcing them, making those acknowledgements of when they would actually be able to come on board. And then when you have a longer kind of pre-onboarding period, depending upon what their notice periods are in their country, how do you continue to get them excited and engaged and deal that entire time, right? Instead of just one email about what they could expect on their first day. And then when they join their first day, we actually are operating three different sessions across the Americas, APAC and EMEA time zones, but people can actually choose the time zone that works best for them. We've had people from APAC dial into Americas. That's fine. So they're actually getting um, in their pre-onboarding a calendar that says, this is the date that aligns with your start date. Please join on your first day. And here are the options in which you can join. So again, a lot of flexibility in our global remote state. Uh, And that's kind of, again, core to our principles around being remote. And we're really a 24-7 environment that people can choose when they operate, right? Um, Which is really interesting as they move around. And then that onboarding really encompassing, of course, who deal is and what we do and our products in bite-sized amounts so that they can understand because our product and platform is quite complex. Um, but also, you know, what are the tools and technology that we leverage internally? We specifically from an onboarding communication, collaboration, kind of visibility, transparency play. We acquired a small company last year called Roots, which is a Slack plugin. And we're building that in and really testing a lot of it internally. And I think you could use Slack in a lot of different ways, kind of minus Roots. But what's available to you in your tech stack that you could leverage to make sure that depending upon you know, your culture internally and how you think about engagement, that you can leverage to send messages to people along the, if you kind of plot their team member experience or that team member lifecycle, specifically in like the first six to 12 months. And since we're doing so much hiring, like our average tenure is six months right now. But um, so we've really focused on the first six months uh, to 12 months. But if you really think about that from an onboarding perspective, onboarding and where onboarding responsibilities lie. It's incredibly important for me that that OKR, we do objectives and key results, but that goal or metric, that that's mine as well as the business, right? It's in partnership because I can't onboard them alone. (laughs) They can't onboard them alone. And so we really take that seriously and have a lot of open communication and collaboration around how do we get people onboarded? We haven't perfected it yet. I was just on a call about this 30 minutes ago. Um, but we're you know, moving from your minimum viable product, let's say, and continuing to enhance and having a strategic plan to enhance it over time. But again, that intentionality comes into play when it is global and how you're servicing people across different time zones, right? It's not going to work to have a US-specific or an EMEA-specific time, and that's it. Wow. Amazing. And and again, as I listen to you, I keep flipping back between how beneficial, you know, what you all are learning and what you are doing. And it sounds like even with bringing on this uh, Slacks add-on, Slacks, Slack add-on. <laughs> um, who, does anybody say Slacks anymore? But anyway, <laughs> um, the Slack add-on, but you, what you're learning internally is going to be so helpful for your customers because they're all yes. being set up to do the same thing. Yeah. And we've learned so much from our customers too. I mean, if you think about Coinbase um, or others, right, we definitely 
that's the thing that most excited me about joining Deal was just like being part of, whether you're a customer or not, there is a huge community of people trying to solve this problem, right? In this moment, or think about it outside the box in a different way. What is the future of work? Um, and what are the things dependent if you choose in office, hybrid or fully remote? What are some of the new best practices or ways to think about really engaging your workforce based honestly in your culture that's going to help you know your business really thrive and succeed and people to feel happy and engaged along the way? And in our case and, and some others cases, right, who are, have a customer component, how do we further the customer as well and serving them up with information as we learn? And I think that's so exciting. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so I do want to ask you, and, and I think as I'm listening to you, and I probably hadn't thought about this when I was being selfish about my topics, but now you've got nearly 80 countries. When I'm asking you to speak to exempt versus non-exempt, it probably <laughs> looks completely different in every darn country. So yes. I don't know if, if there's any even you know fodder that you can give to that idea around what was it like or what has it been like to utilize this model with different types of employees. Like you, I think you did mention contract. FTE mm -hmm. part I mean, you kind of had alluded to that, but have you, what's been different for you with different groups, different types of employees? Yes, it's definitely relevant, right? Specifically for those of us who have predominantly worked US centric or in US based companies, or, and for those of us who have had uh, worked in companies where there was an exempt, non-exempt component, you know, in the US in terms of FLSA, Fair Labor Standards, and overtime eligible people, right? And you're, that's very ingrained in you as an HR practitioner operating in the U.S. And, and some of it is applicable, right? There, it's called different things depending upon the country, but there are very country-specific requirements for compliance in terms of who can be a contractor, just like we have here in the U.S., some countries have similar to like our IRS 20-factor tests for contractor uh, versus employee. Other countries have similar things like Australia's is very similar, France, et cetera. But it is something that you do need to understand specifically if you have a talent acquisition strategy around hiring outside the U.S. Um, or inside the U.S. for this case, right? Because you payroll budget or perhaps set salary ranges or other considerations for your job profiles and roles in a different way when you take into account employer costs. And employer costs are different for contractor versus FTE, right? Um, and then if you're also budgeting for a non-exempt or an hourly workforce where there is eligibility for overtime or the equivalent of that in XYZ country, that is also something to account for. And so the partnership between talent acquisition and people team determining that strategy of how are we going to hit this headcount plan? Where can we find the best talent? Are there new countries or regions that we should be looking at specifically now, right? In the recession around how do we access talent? We still need to hire, but we need to do that in a more cost-effective way. And there's still great talent sitting out there across LATAM and EMEA and APAC that maybe we could access and still hit our headcount plan on budget. Um, but having a really close partnership with that tied back to finance to understand those employer costs or the difference in the payroll budgeting for those people, that's where I see it being you know, really relevant, as well as just being aware <laughs> that there are compliance elements and 
you know, specifically, you might make a decision or a strategy could be we're not going to hire non-exempt in the U.S. You know, we're, we're going to hire, um, you know, a frontline type of worker. We think about support. We're going to hire that somewhere else. Um, and maybe as a, even as a contractor basis, because it might ebb and flow with my customer growth or, you know, I mean, there's just so many things to think about. Um, but I think those are kind of the heads up there. And so still very relevant topic, but shows up differently in a global environment. Yeah. As soon as I, as I was listening to you talk about the other topics, I'm like, oh yeah, there's like nearly 80 countries we're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, I realized pretty quickly. Um, so I, I do want to, one last question I have for you here. Um, and I know you and I chatted about this a little bit before we got going, but I'll, I'll tell you why I included this um, as a question for us to talk about today, Casey, because I think a lot of organizations, especially coming from the people space, we forget to think about outcomes and data that might be related. And I think more and more, I know I teach a class on people analytics, and I think more and more organizations are starting to wrap their minds around what do we need to look at for people data? So I was curious if you could come up with whether outcomes or data was there anything that, um, as you made your way through this journey, as as you guys have gone, as your organization has gone through this journey, any data that maybe was useful for you um, to track part of this journey? Anything related to your people data that you might be able to share? Certainly, I mean, you know, again, we've been building foundationally since I started in December. Um, and just getting all of our data into one place so that we could do proper oh That's a people whole other data. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I guess it definitely is. It definitely is. Um, so, but I, it's so key to me to have that at our fingertips. One, we have to report on certain things to the board, right? Um, but from an organizational health perspective, so really we just got this, our first kind of iteration started coming to life in April of this year regarding overall organizational health that we could report out some of it, yes, to the board um, they're interested in, but more so just using internally to understand how we're leveraging information that we have, where we're looking at performance data, um, how is attrition showing up? Mm, why is first year attrition so high? We have an average of six months tenure, you know, even knowing your, your average tenure, right? As you build out your other programs, um, but also understanding even deeper into how are people taking time away from work? You know, vetting out is that flexible time off policy working specifically with the complexities across 80 countries. Salary, I think, though, or compensation would probably be the biggest standout for me there personally. And really under, you know, we have a location based pay philosophy and not every company does. And I think understanding your comp philosophy and having data around why or why not, or how we think about it, is critically important. And we've been, again, our location-based philosophy stems from our founders and, again, kind of their core beliefs. But we wanted to be able to test it. And should it move to more regional? And how do we think about it? What have we been able to hire and retain people for? What does the market tell us, which the market data is lagging, right? Um, but we have very real-time data within our platform, which has been huge for us to lever. We call it Deal Salary Insights. It's available um, externally, but we leverage it really heavily internally to understand uh, because it's real-time data around what's happening in the market across our customers 
and what they're being able to hire and retain people for and how that shows up across the different locations and how you factor in things like the employer cost that I was just talking about. I think that's been a significant learning for me. But then coupling that with engagement data, which we've just begun to capture, um, it was anecdotal before, and really building the system around and leveraging roots, um, as I mentioned, to start capturing that engagement data. But engagement data from applicants, candidates, you know, candidates who accept their offer versus not, new team members across their team member journey through the onboarding, as well as through their tenure. And that's what's really exciting to me. I mean, again, we could talk about this forever, right? Really mapping the entire team member experience because we want to understand when do we serve certain things up to people that might impact them. Being in a hyper growth environment like we're in, you know, shuffling and getting our executive and leadership teams right, standing up manager layers, working on our organizational structure, hiring on average 100 people per month net new to the company. Um, all of those things impact people, right? And impacts them through the number of times their manager has changed, right? The number of times team members have changed or peers. Um, so we want to be able to record all of that through performance, through engagement, through looking at Slack usage. And engage. I mean, there's so many tools that you have to piece all of that data together to start mapping this, this team member experience. And like I said, we're focused on the first six and 12 month periods because we're so young in our average tenure. Um, but understanding when to serve up development opportunities or to send a message or to prompt a manager to send a message or how we leverage change management. So that's been the really interesting piece uh, for me. But I like you, I could just talk about that stuff all day. <laughs> I know, I could too. I could too. It's fascinating to me. And I think that. Um, you had mentioned earlier about onboarding and it's, you know, you didn't, you didn't say this directly. I'm kind of summarizing, but it's not just HR's um, responsibility, right? It's the mm -hmm. organizations. And I think the same when I think about people analytics, right? It's about, it's the organization as a whole, as we follow, as you call performance data, as we take a look at that. And I love that you all just started up your, I, I appreciate that you said engagement was anecdotal and now we're starting to build some <laughs> roots about it. Cause I think that is like a multi-million dollar um, industry <laughs> right now with, with especially with where we all are as organizations, making sure that the experience that employees are receiving are matching up what they were shared with in, in that candidate experience as well. Yes. So that there's congruency between the two. My gosh, this was beyond, beyond even what I could have even imagined, Casey. This is great information. Again, I know, you know, again, I have been touting that one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you is because you all were, you all made these choices intentionally in a lot of our organizations that are out there. And even with the, not the one size fits all, but a lot of organizations kind of were thrown into trying to figure this all out. So I knew um, uh, I knew from your experience, you'd be able to help some of our listeners as they're thinking about what their next steps are too. So I appreciate that. Before we wrap up though, and, I, and I'll see if you have any final thoughts, but I had shared this with you that I had clipped this uh, quote here. I think it was Alex, I, uh, the one of the co-founders 
Um, but I found this quote and I just loved it. It said, we found a deal because we didn't want hiring or payments to prevent businesses from building the best global teams and finding the best global talent, which is what you've talked about, Casey. We're going to keep challenging the norms of how companies operate and continue building tools that shape the future of work. I just thought, I love that. They're going to keep challenging the norms. <laughs> and, and, and again, you're doing it internally. And that is going to be, it is so useful for you as you work with your customers. But anything else from your perspective before we wrap up? Anything else you wanted to chime in or add? No, I mean, I think I will say what probably every HR practitioner would say is that we can't do it to or for the business, right? And so really being equipped to bring to the table and talk about all the things that are considerations when taking on a fully remote strategy are just so important. But there are so many resources out there and such a community out there trying to solve the same problem. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me or others or otherwise engage. Um, I love talking about this. So thank you for having me. I mean, it said you're an enthusiast about this topic. So <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for that offer. That's wonderful. We appreciate that. Well, awesome, awesome. It was so great to have you. And to our Nine to Thrive listeners, just a couple of things here. Reminder that if you do have an interest for topics, shoot us a quick email at podcasts with an S there at hci.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. So for Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, and of course, thank you, Casey, for joining us for this time. We appreciate you for tuning in. Thanks, everyone.